This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yes, yes. Welcome in to another edition of questions from the audience on the Tim McKernan show from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. I am your host, Tim McKernan, alongside the great gangster Pete, producer extraordinaire of this fine podcast. And we are uh, looking forward to talking it over with you, the audience who submits questions at tmckernan at InsideSTL.com or via Facebook. Uh, on the TMA fan page, if you haven't joined it, join in the fun and games. We're uh, like 7,130 members, I think, is is where we are on that thing. And uh, and any question goes. And it's just kind of a wandering monologue that then leads to follow-up questions. And that's where we start in the email today. Um, now, I have been uh, and will continue to be critical of... Twitter being cited by news organizations as an indication of the pulse of take your pick of whatever section of the population. Uh, my analogy for those of you who are from the St. Louis area is the sound off section that the post dispatch, I don't know if they still do, but that they used to uh, put, I think it was on Sundays where uh, someone would write in something that I think usually the way to get published would be to have kind of a, an extreme being polite opinion. And then we would laugh at it. Um, but then KSTK, KTVI or KMOV didn't then say earlier today in the post dispatch, you know, so-and-so Mike Tataka is big Al claimed had this to say about the Cardinal organization. And there seems to be some backlash well, now we've taken the sound off section and given it credibility by citing Twitter as there's outrage on Twitter or there's backlash. And the reason why um, I don't like it is because you're now giving platforms to uh, extremes uh, and then having them represent uh, populations that I don't believe they're representative of, but also they're anonymous. And my experience through a variety of different um, online slash media um, dealings is that it's the anonymity that gives way to the mean-spirited elements of discussion. Uh, if you look at somebody who is experiencing backlash on Twitter, you can then go into the people who are giving them backlash. And in my very arbitrary estimation, 90% of those are uh, not fake per se, but burners. 
In other words, people not using their real, real account. And so they use it as a way to just, I, I, I gather there are some kinds of um, voids personally or professionally that they then, that they then use Twitter to attack people to, to fill those voids. That's what goes on. And so that is my, that is my overall premise. Now, this first email in today's edition of questions from the audience uh, is good because it's um, pushback. Although uh, I don't really think it's that much pushback, but I welcome pushback. I don't want, I want, I want this to be an ongoing discussion, whatever topic it is. I mean, we, we talk about sports, politics, sex, social media, uh, religion, everything is welcome. So, you know, fire away anytime. And it's not like I've got all the answers. And sometimes I, I certainly, I certainly have changed over the 15 years we've been doing TMA. And, uh, and I'm certainly open to continuing to change with more, uh, evidence or life experience. So here it is, uh, Tim, I have a question for you for QFTA. And I'd also like to push back a bit against an opinion that you have weird for me, uh, opinion that you have, parentheses, weird for me, I'm usually a total lemming, uh, end parentheses, period. Why are you so against anonymity on Twitter? Allow me to articulate my disagreement with you on this topic. I used to have my name on my Twitter. A few years ago, when the trend started where people would try to get other people fired over tweets, I deleted my account and made a new one under an anonymous name. I look back on that now and feel that it was a smart decision given how much cancel culture has ramped up. The other day when you were reading tweets about Dave Chappelle's special illustrates my point perfectly. Uh, I think a super woke person tried to get another person fired from their volunteer job at the red cross. Uh, and that is true. I did read that and it was phenomenal. Uh, it's a runaway train. I have generally conservative views, maybe not as much as Doug, Doug Vaughn co-host on TMA, but still pretty much conservative. And I sometimes genuinely worry that if the wrong person happens to see a tweet from me that they disagree with, they might try to dox me and get me fired. Do you think this is a valid concern or reason slash justification for staying anonymous for what it's worth? I'm an attorney here in town. Sorry if this is too long for QFTA, but it's just something I genuinely disagree with you on respectfully. And I gather he doesn't want his name used, uh, AKA Jimbo slice, AKA the glory hole lawyer. Um, let's see, uh, PS, not at all related to QFTA, but my wife and I had a four year struggle with infertility. We are now pregnant. Oh, God bless America. Uh, but your story provided so much encouragement for me, not my wife, because whenever I try to get her to listen, she says, she says, she asks, why do you listen to this? It's a fair question. I uh, love you, Tim. That's from the, uh, the glory hole lawyer. So your premise on anonymity is different than where I'm going with anonymity. So that's why I don't necessarily consider it pushback. Although, like I said, I welcome pushback. I respect pushback. Um, I, I think it, it's it's healthy. I don't want this to because again, it's not like I'm I'm the answer key here. I'm 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 flawed as fuck. So what I'm talking about is different than what you're talking about. You, uh, as an attorney, but either way, just as a as a non-public figure, expressing opinions on Twitter assuming by the way, you're not attacking people. That is, that's, we're going to operate off that premise, which may not be fair. Um, but if you are just expressing opinions, let's say politically, uh, which certainly at this moment can, can get, uh, can get people banty, uh, and you might be banty yourself, glory, horror, I, I don't know. 
Um, that's different than what I'm talking about, which is the media. And oftentimes, I feel like people use the media as an easy scapegoat, kind of like I felt about 12 years ago. Uh, people would use society as an easy scapegoat. It could make it sound like you're taking a stand, but in reality, you're taking a stand against this nameless third person uh, who no one, when they hear it, feels they are a part of, but all can agree is the enemy. So the media is something we can all line up against because immediately people picture, yes, CNN and MSNBC, or yes, Fox News, take your pick, whatever. But in this case... When I'm talking about media, I'm talking about CNN, I'm talking about Fox News, I'm talking about local. I'm I'm including everybody under that umbrella of quote-unquote media because it has become a trend. And it becomes a trend because the people want it. So I often say people bitched about the candidates we had in November 2016 for president and 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 I go, well, that it's not like, you know, a, a board got together and foisted them upon us. They were they were voted in uh, and, and won their respective parties nomination. So the people got what they wanted. Um, so with respect to this, all of these stories about backlash and outrage on social media, they have to get clicks. They have to get ratings. Otherwise, these outlets would not utilize them. I do think it trickles down from the national media to the local level. I've been in on these meetings. It's been a long time. Um, they're called the morning, at least they were where, where I was, called the morning meeting where producers get together and plan out the day's stories and begin producing the five, six, and 10 newscasts, five and six in particular when it was in the morning. Uh, and I remember being in these and going, oh my God, these are the gatekeepers of information to the public. And I guess when you take a step back, why would I think it would be like sophisticated, wise people in, in this room? I mean, the reality is more often than not, uh, people get into television news at the very beginning with the goal of being on air. There are exceptions. Well, oftentimes the people who don't make it on air, they stay in the business and then they're behind the scenes. And then because the on air people uh, continue to be on air, the people who didn't make it on air then become the producers and then the management and the news directors. And, and so it's, it's an odd spot. Uh, it'd be like, um, a baseball team having the people who got cut then having run the baseball team. And I guess you can take a look at baseball right now and say, well, I think that actually is what's going on, but at least those people are bringing some element of, uh, statistics, probability, mathematical analysis to the table this is a different deal. And so when I would watch this stuff, I would go, wow, this is kind of scary. But I was 22, 23, 24 years old, and I kind of didn't care. I would imagine not much has changed. And so you see how stories are constructed, how these morning meetings are created, and then how newscasts are laid out. And I would imagine when there's backlash on social media, they know that that works. And so it gets attention. And so going back to the anonymity element of it, to cite people who are not really themselves. And by that, I mean, you know, it's take your pick of whatever random name that is, that is concocted on Twitter uh, to hide the, the real identity. And then they attack people that doesn't have the same credibility as somebody willing to put their name and their face on it. That's my premise. I'm not saying they should not be allowed to do it. I don't like it but I'm not looking to snuff it out. 
I'm saying for news organizations to cite this, and what are they going to do? You think they're going to cite the ones that would fit in the middle? No, they're going to cite the ones that are extreme. And also, what I would tell you is something that I think is pretty basic and obvious, is that if people know that they have the cloak of anonymity, then they're going to be more hateful, mean-spirited, irresponsible, than if they knew that they would be accountable for what they say. So that is my, my premise on it. The other element that you're making reference to, Glory Hole Lawyer, is um, people doxing, which I'm just absolutely, totally against. Um, I, one doxing example, and there, it goes on, but I just remember seeing Kathy Griffin do it uh, or try to get people to do it within the last, I feel like within the last six months, I'll give myself a wider berth and say within the last year. And I thought to myself, here is a woman who experienced some of the most intense vitriol um, and says her career was destroyed for that picture where she held up the, the, the head of Donald Trump um, and, and, and knows what that is like to be on the receiving end of it. And now she is doing it. And I thought to myself, my God, if anything, once you've been on the receiving end of it, I would think that you would not want to do it to other, to other people. But alas, uh, I recall seeing it. It's not like Kathy Griffin's the only people who dox people, but, uh, I get that. I don't like what goes on with respect to, uh, the anonymity. I understand it. It's not going to change. I don't believe it's going to change. Uh, in my utopian world, a few weeks ago, I was asked, what is one thing that I would change? And I said, oh, I would like to make it a law that people uh, have to have their identities on social media. Um, I know that won't happen. Again, this was a, a fantasy, but, um, and I think the discourse would change immediately. It's kind of basic. It's kind of obvious, but that's, that's how I observe it. That's a separate discussion than what I'm talking about with anonymity on Twitter and news organizations using it as a way to um, cite credibility. Again, it would be the sound off section being used to dictate policy or advertisers bowing down to the sound off section. Um, and and that's, that's my problem with it. All right, uh, let's see what else we have here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Tim, again, I like this because it becomes the family tree. We talk about something and then people follow up when they listen and it advances the discussion. Tim, listening to QFTA today and heard you say, paraphrasing, do schools ask people to put signs in yards? Now, where does this topic come from? I don't know. I don't know how we arrived on it. I know I wouldn't have just brought it up for the hell of it. So there had to be a, there had to be an impetus for it. And I was talking about how I personally um, would not want to put a sign of where my children were going to school or a bumper sticker where my children were going to school. Um, it, it, my, my reasoning for that is, and I guess I'm coming at it from the St. Louis U high perspective um, because I know that there is a healthy percentage of people in St. Louis who uh, would consider that a brag. It's kind of like the 13.1 or the 26.2 on the bumper. It's like, well, should I put my income on, on the back of my car? I just don't get it. Like, okay, tip of the cap, you ran a marathon, but it's just like a blatant brag. I don't get it, you know, but whatever. Um, so that's why I wouldn't do it. It's just like, no, no, I don't, I, I like a bumper sticker for a politician. I may be a huge fan of somebody, but I'm not going to, 
that, but that, that's me personally. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that's my mindset. So um, with regard to these signs, and I guess within the next four years, uh, those will be in play for me. I won't personally do it, but I was, or a bumper sticker, if within the next whatever to be 13 years, my son does go to take your, let's use St. Louis U High as an example, since that's where I went. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just something that I personally wouldn't do. I'm not saying others shouldn't do it. I'm saying I personally wouldn't do it. I'm sure many of you, uh, wouldn't, uh, solicit threesomes. You know, th- this is a case of to each their own. So in this particular situation, that's what, that's what we were talking about. But I asked, I said, do schools make their, their, uh, parents put these signs in the yard, which I can't imagine they make them, but is it encouraged? And so this gentleman is responding to that part of the discussion, listening to QFTA and heard you say, paraphrasing to schools, ask people to put signs in yards. And this gentleman says, my three kids are in the Fort Zumwalt district currently, but my oldest went to private school from kindergarten through fifth grade. Our experience was that the school board or PTA put a welcome to kindergarten at insert school name and then the child's name. We didn't ask for it or know it was coming. It did not happen after that year. I agree with the emailer. Uh, There was an emailer who said it makes the kids feel good and has a marketing aspect to it as well. Thanks. That comes from Dave. Yeah, I I get it. I totally understand it. Um, Like I said, for me, it's, it's not something that I would do. And if, if all of our neighbors had them up and my son was going to the same school and he said, why don't we have a sign up? I would say, I just, that's just not something that, that we advertise. You know, I think what I hope to teach if I can, I don't know, uh, is an element of humility. And again, I'm not, I don't want to draw this direct correlation between the brag, uh, or what are to me obvious brags and, and the signs in the front yard are the bumper stickers, because I know this is hitting home for a lot of you right now who have these signs in your front yard or the bumper stickers. Um, but from my standpoint, I view them as unnecessary public displays that I think are attributed to, um, some form of a boast. And that's something that I personally am not on board with. Again, I personally, now someone said, well, it makes my kid feel really good to have that. And it gets him excited for school. And if that's the case, then that might be the case. Maybe when my son is in the spot, five, six years old, that I'll want to do it or that the school will really encourage it. And they'll be like, why didn't you put the sign in the yard? And I would explain, this is my reasoning. Um, but that's my thought process. This is really in, in the whole scheme of things. It's not something I really feel passionately about. It comes more from, um, observing what I think in St. This is a kind of a St. Louis specific take that, you know, that you, that you have people so socially conscious and I'm not talking about necessarily in a positive way of the perceived status of going to a private school that in reality is just so they can say, their children go to private school when in reality they could be in the school district in which they live and receive just as good of an education, but it's a status symbol and I'm anti-status symbol. That's, that's, that's the overall premise. Uh, now you can say, well, I mean, who gives a shit if I'm going to, you know, take your pick of like whatever preschool or 
or elementary school, grade school, whatever one were to call it. But that's that's where I'm I'm coming from, uh, which I think has led to this absurd inflation on the cost of private high schools in St. Louis. It's it's like just, it's the most obvious bubble. If I could short it, I would in a heartbeat. Uh, the existence of some of these schools within the next ten years, and also the inevitable coming down of the cost of the education, unless somehow, I mean, I anticipate a recession within the next decade. Uh, that seems like a pretty obvious statement. So therefore they're going to have to come down. And then I would imagine some will have to close, but um, you know, th- there are some that, are, that that's in my opinion, my experience that I think it's worth it. But I think you have a number of them where you go, yeah, I just went to, yeah, he goes to so-and-so he goes to so-and-so and you're just like, why, why would you do that? But it, and it's under the guise of religion, and I don't believe that that's the case, which then gets us back to status symbols, and I think it's unhealthy. Personally, I'm not on board with it, but if others are on board with it, I'm sure they listen to me and go, wow, you are really fucked in the head. So it's not like I've got all the answers. I'm giving you my perspective on it. Uh, Dave, thank you very much uh, for the email. All right, we'll stay in the uh, email inbox for questions from the audience here on the next question. Tim, I have two I have two totally unrelated questions based off of your responses to questions in previous QFTA sods. Number one, you've mentioned previously that you were more apathetic toward Major League Baseball than in the past. If you were the commissioner of Major League Baseball, what rule change or changes would you implement to make the game more engaging for yourself and or the fans? Um, it's a good question. You're, you're introducing a premise that is accurate, but then insinuating, insinuating makes it sound like you have negative intention. That's not fair. But then assuming that there are rule changes that uh, would somehow uh, fix it. Uh, and that's that's not necessarily um, accurate. Um, I think my I, I don't I don't know if um, I don't know if my lack of interest toward baseball has to do with rules. I will say this. Um, but again, I have to, I have to, I, I have to, I have to take myself back and go, am I, am, is this more nostalgia or is it accurate? And also recognize that from a business standpoint, well, I don't know that interleague play has led to an uptick in revenue. I don't know that. My assumption is that it has, but I don't know that. I do know, as much as I can know without actually looking at the dollars, and I hate when people talk about the dollars of, like, my business, uh, and then just assume, even though I know they're not doing it to be mean-spirited, and then I'll read it, and I'm like, okay, I can get involved in this, but then it's going to come off the wrong way, but at the same time, I don't like false information to be out there passed off as fact. Uh, And so, let me then say this. I think interleague play and the expanded playoffs, and I'm talking about expanded playoffs that go back to 1994. So for many of you, it's all that you know has been uh, a positive for Major League Baseball's revenue. So with that said, these changes aren't realistic. But I liked, number one, no interleague play. Really preferred that. I really preferred it. I really did. I think you can make a an absolute direct correlation between the decline in the popularity of the all-star game to interleague play. I feel like you can actually pinpoint it to that on the timeline and the world series being kind of a blah because of interleague play, because there's a good chance that the two teams meeting in the world series have already played each other. 
And the thing that made the World Series and the All-Star Game so unique at the time, in my mind, but it might not be correct because now all the games are on television, so I want to make sure I incorporate that into the discussion, is that you never saw these guys, uh, the opposition. And yeah, they could be free agents and they could switch from league to league, but it, that that was the thing. Like, is the American League better in the All-Star Game? Is the, is the American League team better than the National League team? The styles of baseball. Uh, it's the one chance that the fans of the the other leagues would, would get a chance to play by those rules. I, I just... It's not, I, listen, I know it's not going to happen, but that's part of it. Uh, it's a small part of it because, I mean, you're talking about one night, the All-Star game, which I have zero interest in, and I hated it when it was determining home field advantage and felt like that was Fox leveraging the tie in 2002 to help fix declining ratings for something that had nothing to do with the tie uh, to try to create importance to get people to watch that was really unfortunate. As Bob Costas said, you have the least important game between April and the end of October, determining the location of the most important game between April and October, or as the case may be sometimes uh, the first week of November. So um was totally against that. But as far as the day-by-day, night-by-night stuff, I really don't know. It, it could, candidly, it could just be, you, you know, you just... I remember when I first started at KMOV, and I'm 23 years old, and I'm working with Doug Vaughn, my radio co-host now, for 12 years, and Steve Savard, and I would get so upset. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I was like throwing things or weeping, but I would like my mood would change if the Cardinals lost a game in April. And I remember Doug going, "What's wrong?" And I go, "Well, the Cardinals lost." And he goes, "Okay, who cares?" And I go, "Well, I mean, the Cardinals lost." Like I'm like bewildered as to how it doesn't bother him. He's like, "I don't know." He goes, "As you grow up, you just kind of your priorities change, and you just so that might be it." Um, I think perhaps, and I think a number of people have suggested this, that experiencing a two-month, every-other-night Stanley Cup playoff run and the intensity of that, once you experience it, it's difficult to go back. It's almost like a, like, a, like you know, take your pick of whatever narcotic analogy. Um, so, so I think there's that. I don't know if I feel like there's as much strategy now, um, that I liked anyway, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I really don't. So it's not, it's, it's a great question. I don't have a good answer to the question. Oftentimes that's the case. In this case, I'm acknowledging I don't have a great answer to the question. You know, people talk about the three outcome, walk, strikeout, home run that's going on. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, I certainly will, will, I mean, the Cardinals, as I'm sitting here recording this, are three games up, and they're in a very good position to get to the postseason. Um, very good position to be in the uh, in the NLDS, should they win the division. The, the other thing is that I really liked, but again, I have to, I have to take a step back. First off, I know it's not going to change, but with a 162-game season, and I've been saying, this, this is something I've been saying since the 90s, with a 162-game season, and in enduring that grind um, and surviving it and winning to have it come down if you win your division that you could lose three games in a row, two of which uh, might not even be in your own ballpark, and be done just seems too abrupt for the season. So then one would say, well, what's your solution? Best of seven. And then if you say best of seven, that means for sure we're playing baseball into November. 
or you shorten the season. And now the, the tie that binds generations, the, the statistics, or at least the supposition that the statistics are all apples to apples, even though I think we would agree that things are changing in baseball and then they do change with the ball and home runs as we're seeing right now. Uh, then that's altered because now you're not put to play in the same number of games. So hey, that's the thing. I don't have a solution to it. I don't have a solution to it. Um, I just feel like something I love, and, and I guess this would be my criticism of hockey is in college basketball is the regular season, not having as much importance. Uh, I like to buy in when I'm watching a game that it has importance. College football, for example, I mean, here I am as a Missouri fan and you know, I know there's the, the, the portion of the Missouri fan, like the, the, the hardcores are like, well, if they can get to the, you know, take your pick of bowl, then it was a hell of a year. And I guess for me, I liked years like 2007 and 2013, where even if it might not have been realistic, and as it turns out, it was realistic. They were a win away for playing for the national championship in both of those years where you can believe your team has a championship. Well, here on August 31st of 2019, Missouri's season's already over as far as a national championship goes. Now, some people now will go, oh, there's no way you could have possibly thought Missouri could win a national championship. And yes, I'm aware that it wasn't likely, but it's not like I'm the only person who was saying, God, if you look at the schedule, they really could win all the way through November 8th, 9th, whatever it is, when they go to Athens, Georgia. And could be two undefeated teams playing there and what that would do for the program to have that spotlight, probably a 2.30 CBS game with the SEC East on the line, two undefeated teams, possibly. Um, and now that's now Missouri's lost to Wyoming, and, and that, that not only could hurt this year, but it could be a setback in general. My, my reason for bringing it up is the importance of college football. Every Saturday, your season can be on the line, or your season can go from, oh, we're probably just going to be like a 7-5 and five team to, oh my God, this thing could be you know, something that we didn't believe it even had a possibility of being C-2007 as a Missouri fan, or 2013 for that matter, both of them. So with baseball, it's kind of like, yeah, I want the Cardinals to get in there, but it's like, until they get to the NLCS, it doesn't really, for me, for me, it doesn't really feel like it's real as far as winning a world championship because you kind of got to endure this crapshoot best of five, and I don't like that. I, I I really, I'm an advocate of rewarding regular season success as much as possible. Um, take your pick of however that would be done. Uh, for ranging from the home, the, the team that had the, the division, the division winners uh, get all of the, the, the home games. Uh, the division winners only have to win two games. The wild card has to win three. I, and again, I, I realize all of these things are not going to happen. They just won't happen for, for money reasons, which which are good reasons. You don't just dismiss it because it's money, you know, even though if we're talking about people's jobs that aren't sports related, it's like, well, that's my job. Well, this is a job also. It's just it's it's viewed emotionally because it's a, a leisure and a pastime and usually has nostalgia with family. And so people don't want to think about the business side of it, but that's the reality. And so they're not going to, if anything, they're going to expand the playoffs but I liked in 82, 85, 87, although I barely re remember 82, and 82 was a best of five series against the Braves for the Cardinals, but 85, a best of seven with the Dodgers, 87, best of seven with the Giants, uh, that the Cardinals would have to, um, you know, you win the division, you win the NL East, and you're, you're one of final four. And now it's 10, although I like this format better 
than the one that went on, what was it, 94 through 2011 maybe? I know 94 didn't have a playoffs uh, because of of, uh, the strike, but that the wild card, the only difference between winning the wild card and having the best record in in the the league was one home game. At least now the wild card's penalized by having to use their best starter to survive that one game, and then the the regular season champion is waiting for that team, um, you know, rested up. So I like that better than what it was. I just want it to be even a greater advantage. So that's that's where I'm coming from on it. And I, and I realize I'm also in the minority, and this might sound foreign or bitchy or whatever the case might be, but that's where I am. But as far as like day to day watching it, I don't know. I, I I don't know if I I don't know if I don't even I, I don't know if I, I think I think it's more me because I don't I don't know if this has changed for other people. I think if anything, the numbers are strong. Although I do feel like, isn't it odd that you hear these Cardinal attendance numbers and and watch a game at Wrigley or watch a game in Boston, even though the Red Sox are kind of on the periphery of the playoff picture? And doesn't it, the atmosphere just seem like a completely different thing? Like, in a, a huge way? I mean, you, you, you hear the attendance figures at Bush Stadium, but you certainly don't see seats filled like that. And you watch a game at Wrigley... And it's absolutely packed. I was watching a game last night. Uh, who was it? The Twins and the um, the Red Sox. And it's packed. And like I said, the Red Sox are on the kind of on the outside looking in on the playoffs. You know, they might get in, but it's a long shot. I don't know. Don't you feel like that, Gangster Pete? That that the the atmosphere at Bush Stadium, what I see on television, versus I'm using Wrigley and Boston as examples right now. Uh, and you might be able to think of some other places. It just is like. It seems first off, it seems like a shitload of empty seats, and then secondly, it's just so quiet. I was there on Saturday night and was bored out of my mind. Now, what's going on? This is interesting. It, like my buddy G Unit and mm-hmm. I were there, and we were both commenting. You went to the game on Saturday, night, supposed to watch Missouri Wyoming. Wait, Sunday night. Okay, I holiday weekend confused. Me. Sure, sure. Uh, is the game that was supposed to be Friday? They got canceled. They rescheduled right. for Sunday night. So we were there, and it was just odd. Like. It was less people than usual because a lot of people couldn't make it, I'm sure, that were supposed to go on Friday. Right. But uh, we just noticed that it just seemed eerily quiet there. It's like, just, it's it was a t- really and I, weird. And, I, and it's like one of these things, this is the stuff that I, I say it once a month. I miss Joe Strauss because I feel like he's like he was not afraid to make these observations, even though he knows in this market in particular you can't possibly say anything. That would be construed. It's not negative about saying it's just an observation, but then some people are so defensive about it. But I mean, if you watch a game at Wrigley Field, you know, another team that's competing for division, as I'm talking right now, three games back of the Cardinals, whether it's their night game last night against the fucking Mariners um, or a day game and how many people are there and the energy versus a game at Bush Stadium and how many people are there and the energy and also, like the demographic, am I off on this? I mean, it is. Older. I don't think you're off at all. It is older, big time older. I don't remember it always being like that either. That, I don't either. Because I remember back in the day, we'd go to games all the time for fun, and like it was way more like raucous crowd than it is now. I don't know. I, you know, last for the first time ever in my life, I was watching. You know, because Flaherty's deal and the games flying. I'm like, this guy could really throw a no hitter tonight. Uh, and I think he really thought he could throw a no-hitter, too. That's why he was on tilt after Yastrzemski's hit with two out in the sixth. Um, and and I'm thinking to myself, you know, maybe, I know, I know this ballpark is 13 years old, 
maybe it is in the best interest to have the ballpark not in downtown. Because I wonder how much of this is people in their minds thinking they can't go downtown. I don't know. I don't know how much that impacts young people as it, as it would older people. I don't know. Um, and I'm, I don't have like some solution, nor am I necessarily saying that's the move. It just entered my mind. Um, although, I mean, look at the, uh, the uh, excitement at Enterprise Center. And that's, you know, what, a few blocks to the west. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's so, I mean, I guess when it gets down to it, it's kind of obvious. Chicago's a much bigger city. It has a younger, uh, more affluent, younger population. Something I've talked about before with hatred on ambition around here for young people. Um, but I mean, it's not like everybody in the stands at Wrigley's like 30 and, you know, dual income, no kids or single with, you know, some $150,000 a year job. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But it was just more energy. Like, I have not been to a game at Bush Stadium, I think, since 2016. And I don't even think twice about it. It's not like I'm going, oh, I really, I just, I, I don't really care to go to uh, games in general. I've been to some spring training games. Um, I may have been to Wrigley Field more recently than I've been to Bush Stadium, just because we went up to Chicago for a Cardinals-Cubs series, I think, in 16. Now, part of that comes with having a child. Uh, and I'm looking forward to taking my son. But I've just, I just have noticed that. So it, it, I don't know. I don't know if, you know, to answer the question, if that's a factor in it, I'm anxious to see, cause I haven't, you know, like I said, I haven't been to the Cardinals. I haven't been in the playoffs since that game two against the Cubs in 2015. Went to both games. Um, and if I, if, if it would reinvigorate that or if I won't be as passionate, I don't know if there's somewhat of an Atlanta Braves element to this that it became like a birthright that every October the Cardinals would be in there. Uh, and they were from 2000 on with the exception of 03, 07, 08 and 10, you know, uh, that you had that. And maybe that would reinvigorate people that it's clear that it's not a birthright if they get there this year. I don't know. Um, but I just, I, that, that's where I am. I, I, I really do think a lot of it comes to, I don't, you know, I do, I say that it comes with, with, just getting older and having a family. But then at the same time, I was so emotionally leveraged by the blues run that, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good answer, but your question's good. I just don't have a good answer. Your second question is Ryan Kelly's the home loan expert, and he is the sponsor of our studios here on the Tim McKernan show. Without him, we don't have a podcast. So make sure you're supporting our sponsor, Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com. And with interest rates dropping and this being home buying season, this is a prime time to get in and get yourself a great rate and lock in. Or if you want to refinance, now's the time to do so. Ryan Kelly's the person to do it with. He is online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, the studio sponsor of this program. Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com. You've also previously mentioned both on QFTA and TMA that you credit your education in St. Louis U High for teaching and promoting critical thought. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. Was it the topics you discussed, the conversation your teachers facilitated, classroom activities you did? I'd be interested to hear more. Great job on QFTA as always. It's a consistently a great listen. It's also great to have pick six back as well. Be well. That's from Brad, and he gives his name. I think I can read it. Brad Schleeman, I think. Schleiman, Schleeman, nurse. So with regard to St. Louis U High, another topic kind of goes like the earlier topic of talking about schools, because I, even though it's not intended to be, I know some people are like, oh, St. Louis U High, you think you're so much better. And it's like, I don't. I was lucky. I realized it's a good situation, especially now. 
But even then, 25 years ago, I guess actually longer than that, 30 years ago when I got in, um, it can't be 30 years, can it? Yeah, I guess it's close. Um, that, uh, that it was, I guess, relatively speaking, expensive. That now it's in another world, just like all these private schools are. And I just don't know how people do it. I truly don't know how people do it. And I'm saying that from a real sincere place. Um, so with that all said, I believe now, Pete, you went to DeSmet. These are both Jesuit schools. That's right. My understanding is part of Jesuit education is to challenge students. Yeah. I thought I was more challenged at DeSmet than I was at Missouri. Oh, it wasn't really. even close. Missouri was just like, I didn't, I mean, it was, it was, I, 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 now I look back on, I go, I'm not, I don't regret the journalism school thing. I've, I've run good in this business. I, I, I think it's also like playing seven deuce offsuit and winning the pot. I got very, very fortunate that I ran good in the business. But, uh, as far as an education goes, I wish I would have challenged myself more. Now, Missouri might be more challenging now than it was when we were there. I have no clue. I could have took a more challenging path through what it. What would you major in? Uh, business. Well, I mean, that's but much better than... I mean, I was able to slide by a lot of I'm stuff doing. the first time. When I went back to yeah. the NBA, I took it really serious, and I learned so yeah, much. I would, I absolutely, I look back and go, God, I would have loved that stuff, but my mindset at that time was just obviously a hell of a lot different than it is now, as it is for most people when they're, you know, 20 years removed. So with that said, I think the Jesuit education, one of its tenets is to challenge, um, is to challenge people to back up their answers and then also challenge them to um, defend the position. And what that forces one to do is to really consider both angles, which I think develops empathy, which I think is a good trait. There's also, and again, I guess I can only speak to my class, but I do feel like it's like my wife, my wife who went to Marquette, not university, but Marquette High School, uh, you know, initially with the thing, certainly it doesn't change with my thing with St. Gabriel's, but as I've said, that's more of a neighborhood thing than it is like a grade school thing. It's, it's my neighborhood. Uh, but like, God, you and these fucking high schools and your, your high school, like who gives a shit? Like I went to Marquette, who gives a shit? And then she goes, you know, the more I meet guys who did go to St. Louis, it does seem like there is, you can kind of tell, so to speak. Um, which again, I know can come off the wrong way and whatever, but you ask the question, so I'll answer the question. And I don't know what that is. I really don't, um, because it's not like a class where we're taught anything and I don't have an answer to it. I don't, but, but, but I also want to make this clear. It's not like that. That means all 250 members of the graduating class are therefore set on this automatic path to, to success. Uh, there's, there's assholes everywhere. Um, and then there are superstars It take your pick of whatever high school it does not matter. Uh, so to with this whole thing, which I mock often on this high school thing in St. Louis, um, you know, is, is certainly if one would want to live by it would be bullshit. But the, the, the critical thought, just like I, I've said it a million times and I'll say it again. Um, I remember sitting in freshman theology class thinking, how could anybody possibly not believe in God? And then sitting in senior theology class and thinking, how could anybody possibly believe in God? So that is my evolution or regression, depending on how you view it. And I would imagine the vast majority of you would consider it a regression. Um, and I wouldn't even say that I'm, I'm th at that point now, 25 years later on the, how can I, I I'd be like, I'm just not sure. But I think it's healthy to say, I'm not sure. I don't know. 
I really don't know how the hell. I don't think anybody knows. And as I always say, if somebody does, you would be a wonderful guest on the podcast. We'll have Iggy contact you. Uh, so since I don't know, uh, I think it would be shitty to look down on those who don't share my view. But I feel like that goes on and is accepted, certainly in the Middle East. Uh, but I think it's accepted in the United States. It's just, for whatever reason, it's accepted here because it's our team. And I think that's wrong. I am anti-theocracy. Take your pick of whatever uh, theology it is and whatever crassy it is. I'm anti-theocracy. So with the end people utilizing their religion to win political office, which is certainly standard operating procedure in particular in our area, uh, but certainly other places as well. So with that all said, um, you know, when I, when I think back, I think, think so much of the credit has to go to the teachers. Uh, my brother does teach there. So this is, I have some bias, so to speak, but I would have said this before he was teaching there and he teaches improv. Um, but the English department, incredible. And you would, it's like, okay, we would read books and watch movies and they would take these books and take these films and dissect them and have you see things that if you're watching the movie the first time in a theater or at home, you're like, what are you talking about? And then you start seeing it and then you connect and then you're like, okay, is there a message here? Like, like I always cite The Graduate as one of my favorite films of all time and the symbolism that's going on there for the counterculture at the time, it's just. I love it. I can't get enough of it because I now see it from that, that perspective. Um, and then also seeing things from a, a perspective that I had not seen. I mean, I'm, I'm a white Catholic in South St. Louis surrounding by other white Catholics in South St. Louis. And you just don't know any different. That doesn't make one wrong for that. I feel like that's kind of in vogue now, an old white man. And we can shit on the old white men now somehow as if it's, I just, I'm so against Anybody for anything getting shit on for something that has nothing to do with a behavioral trait, but just something they were born in, discriminated against. I don't care what the discrimination is against. Um, but it, but it, it, it developed empathy. And then you go, okay, well, hold on a second. I think this way, but maybe that's not necessarily right. And it's like, it's like expanding your mind. Um, you know, asked about classroom activities. I don't know if anything really stands out to me on that. Um, but it was, just, it was encouraged. It was, it was a casual discussion on in-depth, serious topics. And the teachers were so good. I think that's the thing that stands out to me. And so a tone was set. It's like in a locker room. It's like, why is the culture from hockey so different than... I can only speak to the NFL and Major League Baseball, but there is an absolute difference. I've never covered the NBA on a regular basis. Uh, and it's set by the guys who came before. And as Kelly Chase said on this podcast, our game has a way of weeding out the assholes. So if the seniors are behaving away, that trickles down to the freshmen and then that the cycle continues. And so, you know, my freshman year, I recall, you know, they're doing the announcements. This, this has to be my first week of school there. And they announce, and the chess club will have its first meeting. And I'm turning, getting ready to make a smart-ass comment. And then a few guys go, oh, nice. And I'm going, whoa, wasn't expecting that. And so, you know, you go, oh, that just means it's full of nerds. And certainly there's your stereotypical nerd. I mean, I don't know how there wouldn't be. Um, I would be your stereotypical nerd. But the there's so many different options and so many different avenues for people to find the thing that got them going. 
and have a support system from the teachers in addition to the critical thought of the Jesuit education that I think that's what I would say makes it for my money stand out. Now, again, that's 25 years ago. I, I, it could be, it could be totally different now, but that was my experience. And, you know, now maybe if I would have went to a different uh, university, I wouldn't be sitting here going, yeah, you know, Pete's saying the same thing. We both went to Missouri. Um, yeah, Missouri just, but I mean, you, you make of it what you, it's on you to make of it. But I mean, I went to journalism school, so I knew that, and I happened to be right. I guess it was pretty um, ballsy with, with hindsight to go, yeah, it doesn't matter what my grades are. I just need to have a good tape coming out as in resume reel of my anchoring. That's what's going to determine. They're not going to go, oh, you only had a 2-5. We can't hire you. It doesn't matter. It's how you are on television that's going to determine whether or not you get the job. So once I got into the journalism school, I was done. I didn't go to class anymore. I, I really regret that. Um, so, you know, Missouri, I'm sure, you know, if you're not doing what I was doing, it can absolutely be challenging. But for what I was doing, I'm just doing the bare minimum to get into the journalism school. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do television. And so fuck the rest of this stuff. So it's not to downplay Missouri, but it's to downplay my uh, approach to education at that time, which I absolutely, um, regret. All right. This one keeps coming up. I, I still don't have an answer. Maybe gangster Pete, you do. Hey, yo, Tim thought I'd send this early to give you a chance to get to Popeye's, but I think the people want to know who's got the better chicken, Sammy Popeye's or Chick-fil-A. It gets asked every week. I still have not been to Popeye. I don't think I've been to Popeye's this millennium. Um, I want to go. I keep hearing that they're out of them, but I don't know if that's just like bullshit. Gangster Pete, have you been to both? Have you had both? I have not had the new Popeye's chicken sandwich. They're sold out currently. Are they really? That's a real thing. Yeah. And then, uh, but I had always liked uh, Popeye's chicken fingers better. They got that Cajun seasoning. Oh. So I was always a fan of that. So I'm sure I like the sandwich. I, so they really are sold out. Like if I drove to this Popeye's on Manchester and Brentwood, they would be sold out of it. Right. Wow. And then uh, that's so odd to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, but I, I personally think that Chick Fil A is overrated. Wow, freaks out when I say that. What I have found in this whole thing, so I haven't had the Popeye, so I can't answer the question. But what I, what I can tell you is this: because of all of the talk about it, now I find myself being more interested in getting chicken sandwiches. So I've had Chick Fil A twice in the last two weeks, which right. usually I'm on a once every two months or so Chick Fil A play. But I had it here just a couple nights ago, as a matter of fact. The only time I ever get Chick-fil-A is if somebody brings it to a tailgate or something. Because no. it just doesn't strike me as that. Yeah, that well, I am a big fan. I really am. All right, uh, let's see. I got this text, uh, I guess I got this this morning. It was sent last night, or this email, I should say. Hey there, Tim. Really enjoy the podcast. Uh, this week, while listening to the Bill McClellan episode, a question occurred to me I wanted to send your way. I, like you, have found myself watching Donnie Brook more than occasionally over the years, despite, like you, being quite a bit younger than their typical target demographic. I think there's real value in having a program that involves a discussion of local issues, especially if that discussion features contributors who are not, for the most part, directly plugged into political campaigns, consultant agencies, etc., my problem with Donnie Brook, however, is that the panelists, with some exceptions, tend to be older individuals who have lived in St. Louis for decades and who seem to be very much stuck in an old St. Louis mindset, a mindset that can be very cynical, close-minded, and supportive of the status quo for its own sake. While left and right-wing political ideologies are both represented, the show nevertheless feels more like voices from Chesterfield to me than a conversation that represents all of St. Louis. Do you agree with that assessment? All right, I'll start with that first question. I would disagree with that assessment. Uh, I can't imagine Ray Hartman lives in Chesterfield. Um, I don't know that he doesn't. I'd be shocked if he did. Not that living in Chesterfield is a bad thing. Um, 
Gangster Pete rolls his eye. I figured you're I figured you're West County through and through. Chester Weird. Where are you Chesterfield? No, no. Where where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in St. Chuck. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. That drove drove to D Smith. How about that? Didn't know that. Um so yeah, I, I mean I guess I get what you're trying to get, like the voices of the West County person, you know, but that I know Bill McClellan doesn't because we talked about it when he was in here. He, I think he said part of his block's in the city. Part of his block is in, what, Clayton, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, who else is on there? Uh, I don't know where Wendy Weiss resides. Uh, be odd, I guess, if I did. And uh, who else are we talking about here? Oh, Alvin Reed. Alvin Reed lives in Kirkwood. I see Alvin Reed out every once in a while around here. Uh, at least I think he lives in Kirkwood because he used to be on the Kirkwood School Board, and I do not know uh, Charlie Brennan. I, I, but I think your premise is not necessarily that all five live in Chesterfield so much as it's just it's not a diverse perspective. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. I, I actually I actually disagree with that. Although I liked your e email overall and wanted to make sure I read it because I saw it this morning before doing TMA. And has because of this part. And has it ever occurred to you to create for Inside STL or otherwise a similar local issues discussion program that would encompass a wider variety of St. Louis point of views. Just looking at past guests of your podcast, I could see a panel that featured the likes of David Hunn, Courtney Bryant, and Scott Ogilvie as being fascinating, very compelling, just thrown out there. Uh, and that comes from AB. I love that idea. Love it. Love it. Mad at myself for not coming up with it candidly. But now that you have, I'm glad that I've got it because I love it. Because uh, I don't know what direction things are going to take here over the next couple of months. And if they take one direction, then that might be something that I would look into. Because I love, I, I, I let me, for, let's do with Courtney Bryant, first off, even if she were to be a KMOV for years to come, uh, I don't think KMOV would allow it because she's under contract with KMOV. But I think Courtney Bryant will, like, be the ruler of the world within the next few years. So Courtney Bryant will no, most likely not be in St. Louis. Um, if she would be, and she were able to do it, I would absolutely have her on the program. I think the world of her, I think she's brilliant and the most talented television anchor I have seen in St. Louis since me, which is high praise for me to, to compare, compare her to myself. Um, secondarily, David Hunt, I could do a show with David Hunt for like 20 hours straight. Uh, probably ought to have him back in gangster Pete. I don't know what the hell we talk about, but I know whatever it'd be. It'd be he's, he's always good. He's one of my favorite guests. I mean, time. I love it. I love it. Is he doing radio anywhere? He had a podcast. Yeah, I know. I don't know what about, happened with that. But uh, I haven't heard him on radio. Yeah. Anymore. I don't want to see him tweeting much either. I don't feel like anyway. He's saving it for you. I guess so. But I love talking with David, David Hunt and then Scott Ogilvie's been on a couple times. I don't know what he's doing now that he's no longer an alderman. Um, but yeah, it's a great idea. It's an absolute great idea. It's a great idea. Those, those St. Louis-centric discussions get a lot of positive feedback. Um, and I enjoy having them. And it, I think it'd be good to get more people to the table. Um, so I, I like that a lot. I love the idea. I, I got to I gotta put this in my little uh, spreadsheet of ideas because it's something I want to do. I think it's a great idea, and I tip my cap, and uh, and I will deny, Aaron, that you ever came up with it. Uh, and I will say I came up with it and give you no credit. But with that said, I think it's a great idea and very uh, well played, sir. All right, let's. Uh, those are in the emails. Now let's go into the... Uh, TMA fan page questions and see what we have this week. Hello, friends. On to the TMA fan page on Facebook. Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies. Can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a, a financial advisor, but then it's not just any financial advisor. It's somebody who 
who knows but cares. You can, plenty of people can know but cares. And Mark Hanna helps everyday people every day get their finances organized. You can call him at 314-889-0503. That's 314-889-0503. Or go online to evergreenstl.com. His name is Mark Hanna. He is with Evergreen Wealth Strategies. And I can tell you from getting to know Mark here over the last year, that this is a first-class person who has your best interests at heart, and just calling him at 314-889-0503 is going to make you feel better and you're on the right track. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503, or go online at evergreenstl.com. How much do you feel that the fan page influences the topics on the radio show? That's from my uh, friend and our hurricane correspondent, and boy, did he dodge a bullet in Fort Lauderdale with Dorian, Mark Chilton. Uh, I think this, because I've experienced it before, very few people, I think, have seen both. Pete, you might be one of the few people who have seen both, the Inside STL message board and the fan page, because you were writing for Inside STL in 2006. Oh, yeah. That was that was a fun place. Do you see, it's a matter, that's certainly a matter of opinion, but do, do you see similarities? Do you see differences? What do you see? Uh, yeah, the biggest difference is that the fan page, everybody has to pretty much prove they're a real person, and on the... Uh, the old message board, you had anonymity, and you could just be a jerk to everyone with impunity. So, uh, uh, Gangster Pete talking about the anonymity that we talked about earlier in QFTA this week, uh, I would certainly say that's um, a difference. What I would say is a similarity, and I don't fault people for this. If anything, it's a great thing that we have this. I mean, this is this is a huge thing. Um, I can't, I really can't overstate it. I don't know if another show has it. If they do, it'd be like the Rizzuto show. And I think it probably does. Um, but I can't imagine another show in St. Louis does. Maybe it does. I always, this isn't like, I'm like, it doesn't matter in the whole scheme of things. It, the point is it's unique. Certainly we know that. Um, and it's so good to be able to immediately go and interact with the audience in a place that for the most part, and certainly there are exceptions, um, are real people. I would say, 80% of the people are really fans of the show. I would say there are people who want to see me probably more than anybody else fail. That's part of it, though. Um, and are cheering against it. They usually just kind of lie and wait. Uh, and I see them pop up when they think there's some shit about to go down. I just watch it happen. But, I mean, that's that's part of the deal. You can't have what we have and not have that part of it. It doesn't work that way. So with that said, it's for the most part, real people and I can communicate with them and it's, and I love being able to interact and get feedback. And then a lot of them have developed, uh, friendships and I meet a lot of them and I like them. Um, but what, what the similarity I would say, Pete, is this, that in both cases, because all you see is what's going on on in the old days, the message board, and now the fan page that you understandably, it's not a flaw. You understandably think that it is more representative of the audience than it actually is. I mean, you're talking about a sliver of the audience. I mean, I, I would think that the that we could all agree that more than 7,100 people listen to TMA. I am really good at separating that fact because I meet so many people that love the show that are just super cool all the time. And then people, some people see something on the fan page and they just take it so, so much to heart if it's negative. And... I, I don't. Now, are you talking about, like, Iggy right now? Or the Plowhawk? Yeah, are I'm you just talking, talking about, about listeners? I'm talking about anybody that's on there. It seems that they're very sensitive to what other people say. So, so, 
so but I'm what I'm saying is and, and then I think of the 7100 people on there I mean for every one person who posts I would say there's 15 to 20 who just read it yes and totally then there's agree. probably even more who are members who are like like have it turned off and never look at the thing you know what I mean absolutely so my my point in bringing out these arbitrary numbers is you see it, and then if you're really into it, even just as a reader, not even as a poster, that you think it's a bigger deal. So, like, for example, the hot topic this week was Iggy driving on Normandy's golf course, which in the fan page became, like, what occupied a lot of a lot of people who posts three-day weekend. And so, you I don't, do you have the text inbox open while we're doing the show yeah, right there? Yeah, Okay, so yeah. you probably saw all the texts. Like, people were irritated that we didn't get to that. Right. Right away, like they thought we were going to lead with that over Missouri losing to Wyoming or the Cardinals winning, what they win, three or four from the Reds, I guess, right? Or yeah, four or five, what the hell was it? They played a million games. and Oh, and then they the one against the Giants, four against the Reds over that weekend. Um, and, and so in that world, it's like, oh my God, how are you guys not getting to Iggy driving on the course? And then for like 90 plus percent of the audience... Us bringing up Iggy driving on Normandy's golf course, they'd be like, what the fuck is this? But right. because it turns into something that everybody's involved in, even though they have no idea what it is, it can be entertaining. I mean, if you're listening to the show at this point, you're really like, oh, no, I really want you to break down Miles Michaelis' start. You're in the wrong place. Occasionally, like once every three days, I'll see one text you aren't going to talk. And it's like, dude, I mean, at this point, it's been on for 15 years. Are you unaware of what it is that we do? It'd be like if Bernie and Michelle Smallman, she's not on that show anymore, though, is she? I, I think she's not on the show anymore. But Bernie and whoever is on his show started talking about, like, Bernie's producer driving on Normandy. His audience would go, what the <laughs> fuck's going on? I mean, this is what we do. But because it becomes a huge thing on the fan page, then for those who are on it and live on it, which is great. I love that they do. I do. I check it out. I just don't post all that often. I certainly don't read all the threads. Uh that it becomes a bigger deal and they want us to like, and it's just not, that's not, that's not the way it is. We'll talk about what engages us. And if it engages us, we'll talk about it. And it could be something that you could never see coming. I don't even know. We, t we talked about, oh, there's something today that I'm like, what in the hell were we even talking about? And I was surprised that it became a thing. And then it wound up becoming a thing. Well, Iggy and the cat and Plowboy got an argument over something. I don't even know what the fuck it was. Like Doug and me just totally tuned out. I kind of Rarely tuned out you have, so you tuned, so half of the show tuned out. <laughs> And they were arguing, and I saw the text. People were like, "Stop this! This is terrible! Stop it! Stop it!" And I'm like, I, "It's like a fight. It's like if you know." Oh it, yeah, it was about what uh, Iggy what said happened to the cat at the ballpark. At the ballpark. Yeah. About, yeah, and I, I have no idea what's going on, but they're arguing, and it's getting heated amongst the three of them. And it's not my play. Like if I'm arguing with you, let's say, and then like the cat jumps in, I go, "Hey, motherfucker, let us settle settle our own shit." So if I would have jumped in there, you know, let them. Let them fire their punches, and you know, whenever they're done, then I'll then I'll redirect and I'll send us to a break or whatever. So, um, anyway, to answer your question, uh, Mark, how much do you feel that the fan page influences the topic on the show? Very little. The answer is very little. But I also know from back in the message board days that those who are active on then the message board or now the message board, massage board, message board, or the fan page can like take offense when I say that. And I don't, and, and it's not meant because I mean, my God, the fan page, like raising nearly $60,000 for Larry Nickel, um, you know, helping the cat situation a couple of years ago. There've been so many instances of great things coming from that page that while yes, there are headaches and, you know, whatever, some stuff, 
it's it, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because of it. And I know it drives in, in particular the producers up the wall. Maybe not you as much, Pete, as the Plowboy and, and Iggy. Um, but it is a, a great thing to be able to communicate with the audience. And I think like when some somebody posted like, "Does Buffalo Tough?" The guy who's critical of the fan page and texts in speak for the audience. Oh, here it is. Did you agree with? Do you agree with Buffalo Tough's text today? regarding fan pinners being losers for mobbing on Iggy after he allegedly treated Normandy golf clubs, fairways like Wario stadium. And the vast majority of people agreed with Buffalo tough, but I look at who posted, who voted on it. And the vast majority of those people don't post. So what I'm saying is a lot of people, it was a question last week actually about the fan page and how it's moderated. Like Tim, like the fan page is great, but it's like 15 people posting over and over again. And the rest of us, don't feel comfortable posting uh, because then we're going to get ganged up by the 15 people. And and, and I, what I would tell you is if I created a brand new fan page, the exact same thing would happen with 15 new people. It's what, it's just what happens. Um, but you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, you know, and, and a lot of those 15 people, I actually know who they are and they're, they're cool people. They just, you know, they post more than others. So whatever, I, I get it. Uh, but to answer the, the, the question was how much it influences the content and, and, the, and the reality is certainly it's a, it's a part of it. But as far as like, does it dictate what we do or how much does it influence in the reality is very little when it gets down to it. Uh, there's the Chick-fil-A question again or Popeye's. I haven't had it. That's from my caddy, Carlos Spicy Wiener. Legrand's or Mom's Deli? This gets real here because I have, I mean, I grew up, if I grew up a mile from Legrand's, I'd be surprised but maybe it's a mile. And therefore that means maybe a mile and a half from mom's deli. Uh, so, I mean, this is, and when I went to Legrand's, it was Binder's tomboy. And that's where my mom would grocery shop, which I know might seem bizarre to people listening to this now who picture it as just the sandwich place. Um, but she didn't like to go into like a big grocery store. And, uh, and so that's why she would go there. But anyway, um, God, I, don't, I love the Legrand's legend. And I love, it depends on the mood, the dad special at mom's or the mom special, depending on my mood. So I, the truth is, I, I mean, I, I don't have a pick. I, I don't think I've ever gotten anything other than the legend at Legrand's. Um, I don't know, Gangster Pete, do you, do you, I don't know how, how much you visit oh, the hood. I take the deli is very serious. Okay. Uh, both answers are wrong. The right answers oh, are wow. Joya's Here, here we and go. Blue City this Deli. Sandwich snob shit. What about uh, Gramophone? Gramophone's awesome. Okay. Where's the other one? I feel like I got another one that we've talked about. That oh, I'm a big Adriana's guy with the Nana yep. special. Joya's and Blue City Deli. I've never had Joya's. Oh, Joya's is great. You gotta try it out. And then I like I like Legrand's. I, I like Legrand's and Mom's. I like Legrand's a little more than Mom's. Okay. Uh, next question. Uh, you have to do one in the next five years, finish your degree in a semester or do three months as a Donnybrook anchor. What do you choose? I do either one of those things. I don't have a problem with either one of those things. I think I really might get my degree. Um, and, and there's no other, you know what the real reason is? Cause I promised my grandma who's no longer with us. That's my real reason. I was playing golf by myself. God, about a month ago. And it was backed up, not real backed up, but I guess I was by myself and there was like a foursome in front of me and a lady behind me. And she goes, Hey, do you mind if I just join you? And, uh, and I said, sure, whatever. And then we want to BS and she's a good player too. Uh, I think she plays in some St. Louis district events and uh, we were just BS and, and she, she works in the Missouri, uh, university of Missouri system. And I said, yeah, you know, I have eight hours left until I graduate. 
And I said, I think I might do it just because I promised my grandma that I would do it. And she goes, I don't know how many times I speak with somebody on the phone and that's the reason they're coming back to get their degree is because they made a promise to a relative. I'm like, um, that's, that for real is the only reason. I just, people say, what about your, like your son? I'd be like, I, I don't think my dad, I have no idea if my dad graduated, but I can tell you this, my dad, you know, you know he did real well for himself with a, without a college degree, assuming I don't think he graduated. I have, but that's the thing. I have no idea. Uh, I, I, th I think it's so, I really do. And I would tell my son this. I will tell my son this. Uh, I, I just think that the thing is overrated. I really do. I think it's real overrated right now. I think like how I could be wrong on this, but this is my opinion right now and maybe it'll change. But I think how, college is kind of like almost like a dogma that that is a determination of the road to success that the trades are being overlooked and so there is a void there right now and i think some of that might have been a byproduct of the recession in 2008 and 2009 and so people went back to school because they couldn't get jobs in the trade uh that that is a real opportunity there in the bottom line what's all said and done is what makes i want my son to be happy and I don't give a fuck what it is that may, I just don't, I, I want him to be happy. I don't want him to be like, God, I'm making whatever amount of money that seems like a lot of money a year, but fucking lies in bed, lays in bed, laying in bed, Chasey laying in bed on Sunday nights going, I, I am, I can't stand the thought of the next five days. I don't want that for him. So whatever it is that is going to make him happy, that's what I want. That's what I would want for anybody, actually. But when you're talking about my my son, that's what I want. And so it's not like I'm like, God, I got to start. I mean, I've been saving for his college. But, you know, if he doesn't want to go and he's got a different plan, I mean, listen, I'm going to guide him. But I just, I don't know. I'll tell you this. I need to say this. I don't need to say this because in the whole scheme of things, I don't need to really say anything on this thing. But since since I'm thinking about it, the fact that my parents cautiously encourage me to pursue this uh, is a is a hell of a tribute to them because looking back on it it was um, it, it again I kind of compare it to, to, to playing a, a hand no limit hold them with seven deuce offsuit you can win with seven deuce offsuit you're just not going to the vast majority of time and it's not like my dad was coming from a place of not knowing him he worked in media he just worked in the advertising side um, but they encouraged all four of us, I have two brothers and a sister, to pursue what we loved. And that's why we kind of have this diversified career path for the four of us. Um, but that's, I think it's a great tribute to, to our parents to encourage that. Um, you know, especially when I think about myself and, and my brother, Kevin, both who are, I guess, in what you would consider more creative, if you want to consider this creative, um, jobs, you know, that's, that's a gamble. And Kevin's success with the improv shop is, I just have the greatest admiration for that. Um, because he didn't do, listen, and if you do do something for money, God bless at this point, I'm doing things for money. But when you're, you know, you're, it's a passion project and then you turn it into a successful business. And it's the buy, and I guess that's what I did. I was a huge Cardinal fan, so I wanted to be around the Cardinals, and so that's why I got into this stuff. But, uh, you know, he just loved improv, loved it in Indiana University, loved it 
when he was in Chicago and saw that there was a void in St. Louis and he created it, not because he's like, okay, here's our prospectus, here's our three-year plan, here's our five-year plan, just love it, created it. And now he's got a thriving business with the improv shop down in the Grove. Um, that's a huge credit to him, but it's a credit to our upbringing that we weren't like, you must go to this school and then you must do this and you must do that. And not to say everybody has that by any means, but you know, um, it's just, I, I, I'm very grateful for that. So with regard to, um, a degree, I just, I don't know. And it, it has nothing to do with the fact that I don't have one cause I could get it and it wouldn't, it, I think it, you know, I mean, it, I'm not trying to shit on getting a degree, but at this point it wouldn't really be too tough to knock out eight hours. Uh, it just doesn't matter. I just, it, it, that's just where I am. It just doesn't matter. I think it's so overrated. I really do. I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm gangster Pete. What do you think? I, I, re, I really feel strongly about this. And you're a guy who just went back to school to get an MBA, but an MBA is a different ball game than just getting like an undergrad from a state school. And I'm not trying at all because I don't even have an undergrad from a straight state school, bachelor's degree from a state school. Uh, some of the most successful people I know don't have a college degree. Yeah. I mean, I think in certain, certain uh, industries that really help you to have one, but for a lot of things, you don't need one. Uh, if I was raising a child, I'd let him do whatever he wanted to do, but I would also try to see if he liked coding at a young age. Coding. Because if you can do that, you can work yeah, in yeah, any yeah, industry you, you want to in the world. Yeah, I wonder if at any location yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah, you can live remote. That's the other thing. I mean, yeah, you have to be able make, to live remotely. Make a ton of money, too. Uh, to work remotely, I should say. Um, do you think there will be a... Uh, oh, so... Yeah, and I'd, I'd be happy to be on Donnybrook. I don't think Donnybrook... Well, I mean, I guess Alvin Reed's asked me about being on Donnybrook. I, 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 here's the reality. I'm not... I, I'll watch Donnybrook, and they'll bring things up, and I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck they're talking about. Now I'm interested since they're talking about it, but I have no idea. So, I mean, you know, I know my strengths. If they're like, hey, what do you think about Gabby Carter's latest scene? I'd be like, let's talk about it. But, you know, they're going to talk about, like, a school board meeting somewhere in St. Charles, and I don't. I just don't have a take on it. And I'm not going to, like, offer one up just to get my get my airtime. Uh, let's see. Uh, do you think there will ever be a time where social media shaming will be the judicial penalty implemented instead of fining or incarcerating someone? Uh, I can answer that very quickly. No. And I'll tell you why, because usually the shamers are hiding behind fake accounts. So that can't happen. You know, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency is my insurance agent. So this is a firsthand endorsement of James Carlton and his staff in Webster Groves, 314-961-4800, or go online at carltoninsurance.net. I think a lot of people just go, okay, well, I've got a guy, I've got a lady, I'm good. I don't really care to talk about insurance. It's something, you know, I'm 25, whatever. And that's fine. I understand. I used to think the same way. And then I go down to my basement on March 30th of 2019, and the basement's flooded, and the world changes. It just so happens because my interactions with James have been so positive that my wife and I switched to James Carlton uh, in late 2018. And I'm telling you, if we had not, the odyssey that has been a flooded basement throughout all of this precipitation in St. Louis would have been infinitely more difficult to navigate without somebody as active. And on top of it is James Carlton. His phone number is 314-961-4800, or you can go online at carltoninsurance.net. And even now, he still checks in. You know, I mean, it's it's just a different ballgame. And even before we had that, which, of course, was a substantial issue, um, 
you know, we weren't covered on, on something or I've forgotten to make a payment. It wasn't like it was like some monster payment. It was a small payment. But he's like, hey, just so you know, uh, you haven't made this payment. We want to make sure that's taken care of so you're covered. It's just, it's, it's just different. It's different in a much better way. And that's why, you know, if, if you ran into me at a, at a bar or restaurant and said, hey, you know, and I have had it happen. Hey, Tim, who's that insurance agent? People email me. And I go, oh, it's James Carlton. Here, let me include him on the on the email. And I know he's going to be on top of it. I don't think twice about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. And then somebody actually wants to follow up. And I'm like, oh, God, I hope he does okay. The best, the absolute best. And you're talking about your biggest investments. So you want to make sure they're taken care of properly. James Carlton and his staff at Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency will certainly do that. 314-961-4800 or go online at carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton State Farm. Uh, one day, TMA will come to an end. We have had, we, who is this? Is this Doug sending in a question? We have had an extended run with the current dais for several years, which has come at a personal cost to you. My God. That's the Mizzou we. <laughs> yeah, that's like when you're talking about our defense didn't put any pressure on Wyoming. Gangster Pete. We have had an extended run with the current dais for several years, which has come at a personal cost to you. I really haven't talked much about my personal costs. This happens to be a tight read. Maybe this is Anna Marie. Maybe Anna Marie goes by Phil. Um, some members of the dais are getting older and will eventually not want to do the show. I'm assuming you have your next several moves planned out when that day arrives. Where slash how do you see the show evolving when this version of TMA comes to an end? Um, I, you know, it gets asked, I feel like once every other month or so, I no problem asking, I mean, whatever comes in, uh, as long as I'm not repeating the same, we, before we started recording, I said to Pete, if I answered this one and we weren't sure, so I erred on the side of not making an ass of myself and rereading it, although I bet we've done that before, not we, I have done that before, but people ask some form of this question, um, I guess I can say this. I don't think I'm saying anything that's out of school. Um, so I'll give some inside baseball. It's no secret. Uh, it was intentionally made public on my part that we're buying the station as of September, what do we have here? 4th, 2019. I still have no idea if that's going to happen. Uh, it, we certainly are having discussions and, and um, we are further along as far as what we need to do uh, to find out if it's something we want to pursue uh, than we were when it was made public uh, a couple months ago. Um, so the con conversations continue. But I'll, I'll give you some, something, some of the things that I, behind the scenes, work on, which I'm sure you'll be like, well, yeah, of course. But, you know, you just want to dot I's and cross T's. Um, you know, Doug and I have never had the conversation. We've known each other. I mean, we've worked together for nearly 20 years. We had, I guess... Two, two and a half of the 20 years where we didn't work together because I left Camo V in February of 05. And then he started with this show in September of 07. Um, and while Doug and I, you know, I don't know what a comparison would be with a, a point guard and a shooting guard. Gangster Pete, if you have one, um, you know, would there be a... I mean, you're the point guard. Right. I didn't know if you're going to use like a player. I was looking for a player analogy, a player, point well, guard, and then pl player, shooting guard. Uh, Stockton Malone. Okay, wonderful. I'm Stockton, his Malone. Is, is, is he really, is that a good, I don't really, th I don't really think of Carl Malone in that fashion. No, but I don't. Man, that, 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 if we were doing the show right now, you'd get killed on the text inbox for that. I, uh, I don't know. Either way, I, I'll set him up and then he'll 
hit the shot better than anybody in the world can hit the shot. Um, but as Doug has said, like when there was talk about him doing a show by himself, he goes, I know who I am. He goes, I'm not that guy. I don't want to be that, that guy. It's just not who he is. But as far as it's like I used to talk about on Stern, Artie Lang is the greatest three to ever play the game. And by three, I mean, Stern being the one, Robin Quivers being the two and Artie Lang being the three. He's the great, and, you know, I mean, it's not like I've listened to every show ever, but Artie Lang's greatest three in the world. Now on the Artie Lang show, he had to play the role of a one and it didn't really go well. Um, Doug is the greatest two that I think you could ever have. And, I, and I'm saying that from a, not just because I work with him. I mean, he's, he, and I, and I've said it a few times on this podcast, he's just the ultimate coworker, you know, which I know is his joking term for the peers on the show, but it's just like, he just, you know, he's going to come in, you know, he's going to do his job, you know, he's not going to bitch and you know, he's going to be great. And then he's going to go on his way. I mean, what else, that's why I love Stedman. Although Doug talks, Stedman didn't talk, but it's just like, he's going to do his job. He wasn't going to bitch. There wasn't going to be drama. You just, you know, you just can't, and he, and he does his job at a really high level. So, um, so when we first started looking into buying the station, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta look ahead. This isn't like a, okay, let's just do it. This will be great. Cause you gotta think you gotta, you get, before you start a business, I remember listening to a podcast and they said one of the best things you could do is write the obituary on the bot the podcast on why it did on the, not the podcast, why the business didn't work. So that way you're forcing yourself to look ahead on the things that you fucked up before you get a chance to fuck them up. Something I'll keep in going wrong. Listen, inevitably, if this does happen, and I think people are assuming it's going to happen. Anytime I get a chance to say it, I want to make it clear. Don't assume it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to happen, uh, but whatever, you know, either way, I will, I will say we'll continue to talk. But I, but you know, you want to check for things and inevitably if it does happen, there's going to be some things that I don't see now that'll come up and it's going to be brutal because I've lived through this shit before and you know, but I'm aware of it now at least. And I certainly am surrounded by, uh, people, um, that I just didn't have as a part of my, you know, working relationships at that time who were, you know, I'm very lucky to have no question about it from the people on the show to the people working with me on all of this stuff. So with that said, one of the things that I want to look into, I'm like, okay, you know, you know, I don't even, I think, I think I have an idea of the exact age of Doug. We don't want to talk about our ages. I, I, I guess some people are sensitive. Like, I think he's sensitive about it. I guess. I don't know. I don't know. So when it's, when you kind of get the sense that somebody don't want to talk about it, you just don't talk about it. Or if somebody specifically says, Hey, don't talk about it, which rarely happens on the show. But if it does, we respect that. That's why when people say, well, God, you guys read these texts about Plowboy or Iggy. And it's like, they're, they're laughing sitting there as well, you know, and if anybody was ever upset by something that was said, it, all of the other five people would never bring it up on the air again, period. So with that said, uh, you know, if somebody's hypersensitive about their age, I just don't bring it up. So anyway, I'm not saying anybody is, I'm just, you know, if they are, there's no need to bring it up. Like I can tell Doug, it's a little weird when Charlie always tries to harp on how old he is and I have no fucking idea. I don't know. So I have a ballpark idea. And either way, I just am like, okay, I need to know if Doug's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this for another year and then I'm done and we're moving to, you know, wherever, or I'm just done. Then that's great. And so I like, Hey man, can you give me a call? Which Doug and I just hardly, I mean, maybe like twice a year we'll be on the phone. And I said, you know, what are you thinking on this? Cause if I do this, you know, I want to have an idea of, you know, 
the group because the group's the key. It's not bullshit. It's, not, it's just not lip service. It just is not lip service. And I think the people who listen to the show know that people have their favorites and people have their least favorites. But the reality is the show is not the same if you take out any one piece. And certainly some pieces would have a bigger impact than others, but everybody brings something different to the table. And it's the reason for the success of the show over 15 years. And he said, uh, he goes, no, I, I want to do it. He goes, I want to do it for a, a good long while. And, uh, and there's no reason to really elaborate any more than that because it, it wasn't like this was a public conversation, but for the purpose of the discussion, um, cause I'm sure people wonder about that. And that, that gives you an idea there. Um, so, uh, that, that, I don't know if I would say it surprises me, but I wonder just because, you know, I don't know. I mean, the guy's been doing television in St. Louis for 30 plus years. He's been on the radio with us for 12 years. So, you know, you wonder about that. Um, so with regard to the inevitable, whenever the show comes to an end, and it could come to an end at any time. Uh, yeah, I mean, part, part of it that I'm doing right now is is the next play. What I'm literally doing right now, a podcast, is the next play. Um, I guess I can't. I, I guess I can't. I, I know I can't. There are, there have been, um, and it's flattering, interest from other places. Um, and that's great. Um, but I will say this, as I say, anytime these other places hashtag reach out, uh, from my standpoint, what appeals most to me is to continue to do, to at least be able to continue to do TMA with the group, uh, as it is currently constructed. That is, that's most appealing to me. Now, I can't control that, contrary to what I think is still the mindset of a number of people in the audience. Um, and I can't control the fact that they think that. So if something were to happen, I can't control it. But I know that that's what I want. I also am interested in, and then when I meet with people and I say this, and they're just like, why would you want to do two shows? But I'm interested in doing a second show. I mean, essentially I'm doing a second show as it is. It's just a podcast. So it isn't thought of, I think in the same light as doing a second show. And people might say, well, you did do a second show when you did the show with Edmonds. And that is true. And it did run me into the ground. But the issue then was I was also running 920. And when I was running inside STLs, we were leasing time from 920 and that ran me into the ground. So that's what I wouldn't do. That's, I can't do it. Won't do it. Can't do it. Didn't have a child at the time. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. My dad for as, I don't know what the right word would be, financially conscious as he is, uh, when I was talking about exp expanding the show and doing six to seven, he goes, Timmy, I don't know about that. He goes, you got to be there for, for your son. And I'm going, well, how would I not be for my son? He's asleep from six to seven. But I guess what he's thinking is I might wear me out and I want he wants me to be a good father, which is kind of eye-opening coming from from my dad that, you know, I'd be leaving dollars on the table to, to do that or to, to not do it. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, you get an idea right now with the podcast of, of what I would do. This would be essentially similar to a radio show. It's just right now it's in podcast form with the long form interviews, with the bullshitting on topics that are not necessarily sports. Like if somebody said, what do you think about Marcelo Zuna and the Cardinals resigning him? I'd be like, God, I just have zero interest in discussing that. I mean, I'll discuss it, but I can't get real fired up about it. I just can't. And, and if 
there were a station that was saying, hey, we're going to pay you twice what you're making right now, but all you can do is talk sports. I'd be like, I'm out. I'm out. It's, it's, not, even like, it's not even a sweat. I'm out. Because um, I wouldn't be that good at it because I wouldn't be all that into it. And I don't know. I don't really know who is into it. It's definitely not my audience. So uh, it's. I think it's an older audience, and it's just kind of. It's just not. Not, not for me. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's. That's that. I, I continue to do TMA for as long as possible. TMA will inevitably evolve. Inevitably, when somebody leaves, uh, people then inevitably say the show is over because that has happened like seven times, and fifteen years later, here we are. But I mean, I I, I recognize it. Because I've lived it, you know. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I remember when Martin left in October of 06 and everybody's like, oh, the show's over. And internally, I'm kind of like, listen, Martin is, and I still say it. I was saying it at lunch yesterday. Martin, I think, may be the most talented person, and it doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different type of thing. I remember he's got their own thing, but just he's crazy talented. But the show wasn't over. The show obviously wasn't over. Um, just like at that time, if I would have left and I would have gone to whether it had been Denver or New York, that wouldn't have meant the show was over. So um, it just it just will change. And some people will like the new show and some people won't like the new show. And some people will kill the new show. And some people go, God, I really like this. Now, it's just, it's, I've seen it because I've lived it. But even if I say this in advance of when that happens it still will come up and people say, oh, you're just saying that. I'm just saying, I'll go, okay, that's fine. You can say whatever. I mean, I've lived it, you know, I mean, I don't know. And it's tough, it's tough, it's a tough thing to do because when you say it, then it makes it sound like the people who left didn't have value. And that's absolutely not what I'm saying. But this thing, what I'm saying is bigger than any one individual. That's what I'm saying. Uh, let's see. What is the process of booking guests on the podcast? I would love to understand how it all works. I'm sure each person is slightly different, but just curious generally. This is an Iggy question, I think. Would that be fair to say, Gangster Pete? I mean, you're you're more operations on podcast. Iggy yeah, guest Iggy, Iggy's got the best Rolodex in town. Yeah, and I got to tell you something. I, I, I guess if I had a complaint, it would be that I got to kind of nudge in order to get it to happen. But once I nudge, then it happens. So I suppose in a, an ideal world... And I, I'm kind of at this point focused on the bigger transaction if it were to happen of the station. And then if that does happen, then I kind of come in and we start, you know, handling things differently. Um, but uh, in an ideal world, you know, Biggie, Pete, even though you're not necessarily booking guests, would say, you know, here's a list. What do you think of this? I'm working on this, this, this. And then before booking, then say, you know, that, that. So I'm not the one going, Hey, Jeremy Macklin, I saw he's in town coaching Kirkwood. Let's get Jeremy Macklin. Like, that's what I would, that's what I would prefer. But the thing is working as it is. But then, uh, we get into a spot where it's like, okay, now we only have one interview in the can. We got to get an interview and it becomes this race against ourselves, even though in the whole scheme of things, I know people aren't like checking boxes to make sure we have an interview every week, but in our minds, we are, at least I think I can say in our minds, we are. Um, but anytime I come up with somebody, Iggy's on it. I, I can say that. And and we had a couple months ago when I got back from Hilton Head, I think it was, and I said, hey, boys, you know, or spring training, actually, I think. So we got to get some together. And you guys came up with a long list and a lot of good ideas on there. And uh, and that took care of it. So, you know, as far as the booking guest process, I more often than not will come up with somebody. Iggy then will begin, I guess, I don't know if he calls or texts. Do you have any idea what he does? Depends on who it is. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
and he gets them in. And I'm telling you, like the day that I had where you were emotional with Baruby and Armstrong, Never and how that was. That day. <laughs> but I mean, I, I recall seeing the media, and I'm talking about like the local TV and the riders walking by as I'm sitting there in a one on one with Craig Baruby for like, I don't know how long we went there, like 40 minutes, did we? Something like that? Yeah. And Armstrong, which I think was like 25 or 30. And they're walking by and they're like, we haven't seen this motherfucker down at the rink since like Pronger was wearing the C. We're getting some looks. And they're just like, how does he, you know, and I got to tell you something. I don't, bl I, I get it. I don't know. Um, Cause I don't look at this as like being, I don't know, better than anything else. I don't, I don't know what the right word for it. Like, like we deserve that, I guess, if that's the right way to say it. Um, but I'm incredibly grateful for it that I can just drive down to the Enterprise Center and, and Doug Armstrong is waiting for us. And then 10 minutes later, Craig Berube comes and sits down with us. And it's like, these guys just won the cup. And we get this access and we get to do these long form interviews. And Pat Maroon, who at the time I had never met, comes in and does this thing. You know, I mean, it is, I, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great compliment to the people, uh, to Pete and to Iggy and before Pete and Iggy, John Seymour, the caliber of guests, because it is not an easy thing to do. It's like sales. It's one of those things that I understand the, the attention is going to always be on the hosts. It, it, you can say all day long that the sales are the key or this producer does this and that, and but it's still going to get down to the host publicly. That's what's going to be. But I'm the engine's always sales. The engine is always sales. But the work behind the scenes that goes into making things happen you know, I mean, it's a grind and to keep texting and calling people and they don't respond or they, they're going to like Macklin had to cancel a couple different times. Um, but we knew he was going to come in. We didn't by any means think he was just making stuff up. Uh, he had some stuff going on and, uh, it's a process. And I know he's the last thing he wants to do is go, Hey, I'm sorry, Macklin can't come in. Can you do tomorrow? It's brutal. It's not fun because you're at the mercy of somebody else. And usually these people are in, in case, fortunately this show, some bigger names, what are you going to do? Complain to them? Then you lose them. You can't do that. So you just got to roll with it. So it's not a position I envy. So I, and I have a great amount of gratitude for uh, the process of booking guests because um, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's, it's, it's a hell of a process. Uh, is there someone who you have come to know in either the sports or media world that has gotten a bad reputation that you feel is undeserved? Or I'll doubt, I doubt you'll answer this but someone who people think is a great guy or gal. And when you got to know them, they are a Royal jerk off. Uh, to answer the second one, the answer is yes. Uh, to answer the first one, is there someone you've come to know in either the sports or media world? that's gotten a bad reputation that you feel is undeserved. Huh? Anybody stand out to you gangster Pete? Not off the top of my head. Yeah. Ah, I'm trying, I'm trying to like think of like, I mean, just like in St. Louis sports media, like I think you can tell Maurice Drummond is like the nicest human being ever. You can tell Tom Ackerman is the nicest human being ever. Uh, um, I, I mean, who I don't I don't even at this point I don't even know who I, when Brian Burwell and Joe Strauss passed away. I felt like it was like a cause for me. And I think Mike Claiborne had the same thing in particular with Brian Burwell um, to talk about how good a guys those guys were because I knew, well, Burwell, I, th I don't know how anybody could think he was a bad guy at all. I, have, I mean, I know it was bigots, so just call it for what it is. Um, 
and I mean, I disagreed with plenty of the shit he wrote. Like, like a lot of times I'm just like, what in the hell is he talking about? But he was a great fucking guy. Great fucking guy. Great fucking guy. Miss him immensely. Great, credible guy. And then Strauss was, it was a taller task because his on-air persona and his Twitter persona were so cantankerous that you couldn't possibly imagine that he, but he was so caring, but it was almost like a WWE wrestler who was so into his heel character that he didn't want to come out of character. And so, you know, it was so, I just, that was such a, it was so important to me to make that clear that this isn't just because he passed away, that this guy, you know, both Burwell and Strauss, when I was going through the Albert Pujols thing in a big way, were on their own. Joe Buck also were on their own supportive. Um, I, I guess if we're going to use, I, even though I'm like, I, I still like baffles me when people say Joe Buck, this and that. And I'm, I'm, so on the off chance you think Joe Buck is an ass, I can tell you that he is a great guy, a great guy, uh, a guy who if I needed something I know I'm looking at the clock. It's 1143 as I record this. If I text him, I said, hey, man, I really need you to give me a call at whatever point you have a minute today. He will give me a call. And if I need something, he will do. I just, you know, and he does that. He just, he just does that. Um, that's who he is. Not that like, he's like, you know, Don Corleone with favors, but that, you know, it's, he's just, he's just a good guy. He's a good guy. He's achieved an incredible amount of success in a brutally difficult industry. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to come up with an answer because I feel like it's, I feel like it's happened, but more oftentimes with behind the scenes people. Um, I don't know. I really don't know. Like, I mean, I think, I think, I don't know. Gangster Pete, I really want to come up with, I really want to, <laughs> I want to give the people something. Well, this is more show related, but Iggy gets a bad rap from a lot of people and he's like a closet would, sweetheart. I don't think people would ever think he's like a bad guy guy though you know what i mean like yeah. they go he's fucking weird but i mean i'm sure they're like tim's fucking weird you know right but i don't think they would think he's a bad guy i don't know maybe they would but if you if if, they, if you do think that certainly that's the case you know that he's not that he's yeah that he's just like he's like just like that's the thing that he's but I knew going in when Randy Markell owns the station, he's like, hey, bud, I really want you to find a spot for Iggy when you when you take over the station. This is in 2016. And I'm like, well, fuck, I want to put him on our show because I know he's just this character you can't create. But I wanted to make sure it was cool with everybody because I knew that some people have this thing with him. And obviously it was cool with everybody. And now look, now look at what's happened. But I was like, this guy will fit. He'll be great on the show. He'll be great on the show. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Here's, here's what, here's, I guess what it really gets down to is unlike when I was doing television, I was down at the ballpark or Rams park or at the time Scott trade center all the time, you know, Rennie not, I think you can tell though, but I just felt like he got, I, thought, I also thought that was racial. Um, I mean, he's just like the nicest guy. He's a good guy. And I'm so happy. I feel like he's like found his place in the market where he is damn good at what he does on morning news on KSTK. Not that anybody ever thought he was a bad guy, but like he got shit on because he said like, I don't know, Bruce Sutter or something when talking about Bruce Sutter, you know, he made a mistake and that, you know, people were looking for a reason to dislike him and they got, see, he doesn't know the names. How can you not know a Hall of Fame pitcher? So I'm happy for him. I'm just, I'm trying to give an example. I don't know. I feel, I, I feel like I'm failing. I feel, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. 
I don't know. I'm and I'm and I'm obviously I'm not going to name the names of people who people would think are are good guys that aren't. But at the same time, honestly, on that one, as I'm like going through my mental rolodex, uh, I I don't really have. It's not like I'm getting a bunch of names or or coming up on that one. Uh, so I don't know. I guess maybe slippery might be a good word. Uh, maybe not what one represents publicly, but you know, as far as like bad guys who are good guys or good guys who are bad guys. Uh, I don't know. I, I wanted to come through on that one. Strauss would be Strauss would be my answer. Um, on the uh, guys who people might go, there's no way. And I'm like, no, he's a great guy. And it's almost like he doesn't want people to know he's a great guy. Uh, Tim, let's go Bill Clinton, boxers or briefs. The answer is boxer briefs. Hope that leads to you, uh, to, uh, enjoying completion this evening. Uh, if you could pick the next president, who would you pick? If not, then who are some people you would like to see run? Oh, man, I should have uh, just uh, not even touched that one, not because I am afraid to answer, just because I'm not prepared to answer it. Um, I still think, and I heard it within the last 48 hours, and I don't know where I heard it, and I don't know if it was a podcast or I just had it on the background, but I can't picture it, so it had to be on the background or a podcast. But someone was saying, the Democratic nominee is is someone who is not running right now, which is something I feel like I say every week on this podcast, that that is my belief. Or maybe it's just my hope. And so I'm conning myself into saying I believe it. But I really, feel, I just like it. I, of this group, I have no idea who wins. I really, Gangster Pete, I, I have no idea where you are politically. I really don't. Um, what do you think on this? I'm curious. Who would I pick right now? No, uh, does anybody, uh, uh, you know, in uh, their debates tonight? There's nobody that excites me right now. I just can't picture any of those people winning. Yeah, I can't either. And it's and it's not like that because because we're dealing with Ronald Reagan in two, you know, 1984, Barack Obama in 2012. That's, that's what's the, crazy about it. Too. Th- that's the thing. But I still can't picture. I I just and maybe someone. I mean. I mean, listen, if it's Biden against Trump, I'm voting for Biden. If it's Harris versus Trump, I'm voting for Harris. I, 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 I like Pete Buttigieg. I don't know if he can win. But as I say, anytime I say that on the podcast, if you would have said to me in, in 2015, uh, can Donald Trump win? I would go, oh, fuck no. If I got to pick, I'd take Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete. Yeah. I thought you said Mary Pete. I'm going, oh, my God, there's a candidate I don't know. Mayor Pete. Yes. Yeah, that's where I am as well. Um. But I, uh, I don't know. That's why I just, I just, I'm just like, you know, wow. I really don't know. I truly don't know. I truly don't know. So that's why, you know, uh, I just want somebody who I feel like is saying what they think and then therefore kind of pissing off conservatives and liberals because there's no way one can really think the things that are currently the liberal platform or currently this kind of like morphed into conservative platform. Um, that isn't, I don't know if it's necessarily conservatism so much as it's Trumpism. Uh, so I don't know. I, 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 you know, when, when it comes to people who I, you know, I guess, I guess you would call it old money or maybe it's new money, but with real money, um, and I'm talking about like real, real money. So, you know, seven figures would be the floor. Uh, with Trump, they kind of go, yeah, it's brutal, but you know, it benefits us. So 
whatever. The people who I feel like are the, the vigilant Trump supporters are the ones who actually aren't necessarily the beneficiaries of, of the economic policy. But I think for a lot of people, uh, because of religion, the pro-life element is a huge part of it. And so therefore, Supreme Court justices and conservative judges are a big part of it. And while for me, that's not an important thing, if that's an important thing to somebody, that's an important thing. And so they go, okay, I can't figure out what the hell's going on with this guy or with Twitter. And I kind of in the back of my mind wonder, you know, how much is really going on here? Uh, but you know what? He's getting the, the pro-life justices in there and that, that, that's, that's where I am. That's what, that's what my church tells me or that's what I believe. And so that's where I am. Or, you know what? I've been monitoring my 401k since he was inaugurated and look at its increase. So, you know, that's, that's why this whole thing with like, you can't possibly support Donald Trump and not be racist. I just, I, I think that's so brutal, uh, which I feel like is a weekly topic here on the podcast. Uh, all right. Uh, if you had to weigh the pros and cons of social media, are we better or worse off as a society for having it in our lives? Oh, this is Juan from PP Corp bringing it. For me, on the pro side, we have access to more information than ever before. It's created new ad revenue streams and has connected people that may not be able to otherwise. But it's obviously contributed to the current trajectory of discourse, spikes in mental health problems across numerous demographics, and an overall smartphone addiction. This is an obviously unrealistic hypothetical, but if you could put the genie back in the bottle, so to speak, would you? Uh, I'm going to give a half answer that'll take us back to the one of the first questions of today's podcast, and that is, I'm all for social media. I'm not for anonymity. That's that's my issue with it. That that's that's where I think we get into the problems. That's where I think we get into the bullying more often than not. That's where we get spreading falsehoods more often than not. Although certainly there can be people who are validated who are spreading falsehoods, but for the most part and uh, I think that's what I think that is number 1 on the list of the toxicity cause. But as far as like just getting rid of social media, which is putting the genie back in the bottle is a question. No, the answer to that for me is no. But, you you know, can you ever have a realistic social media without anonymity? And the answer is unfortunately no. It's like I keep watching like the Post-Dispatch try to navigate how to figure out the comment section. And they just keep trying to do something. And then the dog avatars still pop up. Uh, let's see. What is your biggest regret in the industry? This is where we'll wrap it up. Last question. Answered a lot of questions here. What is your biggest regret in the industry? Something if you could go back, you would do the opposite. Ha, ha, ha. Mm, 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 Biggest regret in the industry is um, not thinking bigger which I realize is kind of vague because people probably want specific examples. But the reason why I say that, there'd be two examples. Um, in 2000, I guess I got the job at KMOV in 2000, and my contract ended in February of 03, March of 03, actually. Um, and I should have been and wish I would have been aggressively pursuing another job uh, to see what could have happened because I'm sure I would have gotten some some good situations um and i just was it, it, i was happy with what i uh what i had and i don't think there's anything wrong with that per se at all um but i think i've cited this quote before and i want to go back to it because i'm 
a big fan. I hope I can find it. Um, the greatest danger for most of us is not that we aim too high and miss it, but we aim too low and reach it. And, um, I just, I, my goal was to get back to St. Louis. It's all I cared about. They used to make fun of me at the journalism school for being like, you're going to have job opportunities. You're going to turn them down because all you want to do is work in St. Louis. But that's what I wanted. I was just cardinal obsessed. And in those, in that final year of my contract, um, should have signed up with an agent and, uh, and who knows? I mean, listen, it's not because I wanted to go into or continue to go into television, but thing that, that to, to be whatever I was at that time, 25, 26, with, uh, that experience under my belt, had won, um, some Emmys and an Edward R. Murrow, I could have been in a spot. But I also know the scope of things and it wouldn't have been like I would have been like making a million dollars or anything. So I don't want to overstate it. But that was that was a mistake. I got a job at KFNS in June of 2002. And um, and then I started making some more money from that. And so now I'm like, oh, now I'm working in St. Louis and TV, which I love. And then I'm also making money from KFNS. Not a lot, but, you know, I was doing another show. And I'm like, my God, this is great. I'm 25, 26 and I'm making this much money and I'm in my hometown. I'm in heaven. But it, it, it created, um, I don't know what the right word is, satisfaction, which is good, but then lacking the ambition that got me to St. Louis at, at the age of 23 in the first place. So that's one. Uh, and then with Inside STL. And, uh, and that is just not thinking bigger with Inside STL. I mean, uh, we could have done more with it. And there's no one to blame on that. And I don't know that we would have, but... I just didn't, you know, when Barstool and Inside STL started around the same time. And as I have said, when it comes up, uh, Dave Portnoy didn't have a job. So that was everything for him. And for me, it was kind of a side project. And therefore he had to hustle because that's how he was going to survive. And for me, it was kind of like, oh, nice. I get to pay myself another X amount of dollars per month. And that's nice. And it just was, it was a side project. Um, and so I'm not saying we would have had Barstool by any means. Um, but but I just, I just was thinking, you know, St. Louis centric. So those two things, um, I would, so if people are asking regrets for their purposes, don't limit yourself. The greatest danger for most of us is not that we aim too high and miss it, but we aim too low and reach it. Ooh, that one, uh, when I read that, that one, that one resonates. Um, so that's, again, it's not like I specifically did this. I think, um, you know, that, that's, it's more of a broad, like, yeah, just, God, I, the, the inside STL one doesn't bother me as much as the, the, the complacency of like 2002, that, that's just this, that, that one's disappointing because the inside STL one, realistically, I'm not sure that that was, that there, there was as much there as maybe some might think. Um, but the, 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 just, ignorance and complacency of 2002 bothers me because I was in a, a really good, and I wasn't even, I wasn't even look, I wasn't even trying and people go, well, you were happy. So why would you? Yeah. But I didn't recognize the opportunity that, you know, that I had. And, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's disappointing. But at the same time, had, I mean, if we play out the hand, I would have gone to another market, you know, probably like a, I would imagine, I don't know, take your pick of whatever a top 10 
TV market would be, probably wouldn't have been the lead guy, weekend guy. And inevitably, as has been the case with local TV news, I would have started making more. But then right around 2008, 2009, because I was making more, then they would have gone, hey, we need you to cut, cut back. And then it's like you have no marketable job skills. And you're now at that point, I would have been in my mid 30s. And you're going, oh, my God, what the fuck am I going to do? So it worked out. But that's results oriented. What is disappointing is to not be thinking ahead. I mean, I'm 25 years old. It's not, there's, there's no excuse for that. So I, you might be looking for like, Hey, when I did this, that was really regretful. Um, but those are the ones that stand out to me, uh, more, but I'm sure I'll have uh, more regrets for you as time goes on. All right. As always, thank you so much for the questions. Thank you to our sponsors for making the whole thing possible. Ryan Kelly, the home loan expert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton online at carltoninsurance.net. Design Air Heating and Cooling, online at designairservice.com, the number one train dealer in the North, hardest type train, and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Chevy, find new roads. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you to Gangster Pete and Iggy for producing. I'm Tim McKernan. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network for the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.